Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studio in Alpharetta, it's time for Profit Sense with Bill McDermott. Good morning. Welcome to Profit Sense. This podcast dives into the stories behind some of Atlanta's successful businesses and business owners and the professionals that advise them. We help local business leaders get the word out about the important work they're doing to serve their market, their community, and their profession, as well as discuss current issues that business owners are facing today across a wide variety of industries. I'm your host, Bill McDermott, and this show is presented by The Profitability Coach. When business owners want to increase their profitability, they often don't have the expertise to know where to start or what to do. I leverage my knowledge and relationships from 32 years in banking to identify the hurdles getting in the way and create a plan to deliver profitability they never thought possible. We have three great guests on the show today. I'm really excited. Uh, Andrew Sullivan, who's managing partner with Sullivan and Schleeman. Andrew, welcome. Thank you. Good, good to be here. And Ken Madron, CEO of Permatherm. Ken, so glad you're here with us on Profit Sense. Great to be here, Bill. Thanks for having me. And Jim Persley, uh, CEO with Factory Automation Systems. Jim, welcome. Yeah, thank you, Bill. Good to be here. Andrew, I'm going to start with you, managing partner, wealth advisor with Sullivan and Schleeman Wealth Management. Uh, you have done money management for years, um, but we're approaching year end. A lot of people are thinking about investing, thinking about the markets. So, First question to you is, what steps should someone need to take for year-end planning? Absolutely. Very important question. So one of the things that we are having discussions with with our clients right now is reviewing your 401k and retirement accounts, making sure you're maxing out your contributions both to your 401k and your IRA or potentially Roths. Um, it's a good time to rebalance your portfolios because so many of the market uh, areas have gotten out of balance, either due to the outperformance or underperformance. It's always an excellent time to sort of get things back into balance. Additionally, it's a good uh, opportunity now to review any taxable losses you can take in your taxable portfolios so that you can write some of that off your potential taxes for this year. Uh, also, we want to make sure that you are making charitable gifts out of your IRA if you're over 70 and a half. Want to also make sure that you're making your RMD distributions if you're 73 or greater. Uh, penalties are pretty stiff if you do not. So those are good things to review. Also, you want to make sure that you're maxing out any potential uh, gifts to heirs. You can make uh, a, a, a gift to any individual of $17,000. It's a good opportunity to do that, to do some estate planning and gifting. Uh, additionally, it's also a good opportunity to kind of review your beneficiaries on your IRAs, your Roths, insurance policies, any any particular investments that you have that have beneficiaries, you need to review it, make sure you got primary. That's often common. People have primary, but they don't really check their secondary beneficiaries. So it's an area sometimes we find that they're deficit in that in that area. Yeah, that's a great point. Yep. Anything else beyond that? Uh, that's, that's probably the main ones to be looking at. So... Um for our listening audience, uh, rebalancing sounds uh, easy, but may not be as um, understandable. Could yep. you talk a little bit sure. specifically about sure. that? Uh, oftentimes, people uh, pick an investment strategy, uh, and then they don't review it again. And so, for example, this year, large cap U.S. growth stocks have had a phenomenal year. 
uh, in particular technologies, had a phenomenal year. And so if you've invested, say, a 20% allocation to any given one of these areas, and those allocations have now, because of performance, have gone up from 20% to 40% due to outperformance, oftentimes people let that ride, and they let it ride too long. Ah, so okay. the rebalancing is, is to bring things back into check so that you're selling off some of your winners and then rebalancing to some of the less uh, performing areas of the market so that you don't get too much allocation too heavy in any particular one area. Sure. In the 401k arena, uh, one of the benefits to these uh, typical 401k programs, you can check a box in your 401k and on an annual basis, it will automatically rebalance to your ideal allocation. Okay. In the non-accounts, the non-retirement accounts, you have to manually go in there and do that rebalancing. Yeah, yeah. Um, those are excellent points. We're talking this morning with, uh, Andrew Sullivan, managing partner and wealth advisor, Sullivan and Schliemann wealth management. In this role, Andrew offers access to a full range of comprehensive financial services, including estate financial income planning, as well as strategic and tactical portfolio construction and management. Andrew, I kind of want to ask also, what are the most common issues or problems you see with people having financial success in retirement? So when a client comes to us and says that they want to retire, there's typically two areas we look at. One, can they financially do it? And that's usually the easy question. It'll right. work or it won't work. The second thing we want to make sure of is that they have an act too, is defining what the rest of your life is going to look like as far as hobbies, different career paths, uh, uh, taking care of grandchildren. So it's a, it's a two-part. Can you financially retire and can you mentally handle the retirement aspect of it? But the biggest challenge, too, we also see is uh, I'll get a call on a Friday afternoon for someone that's in their 50s and they said, oh, by the way, I retired last week. Was that a problem? No planning, no discussion. They just Ooh. made tough decisions. And oftentimes the answer to that is no, this financially will not work. So retiring too early is typically a big, big problem because they've not done the hard work of saving enough money to get them over that financial hump. Yeah, That's one issue. Second one is not saving enough while they're working to that retirement goal, right? Typically, you need to be saving 15 to 20% of your gross income on an annual basis to get you to that retirement goal. So a big, big issue. Uh, the other one is spending too much in retirement. And the, and the general rule of thumb that's used in our world is 4 to 5% of your assets. As an example, if you have a million-dollar portfolio, that portfolio can sustain for you a forty dollars to $50,000 a year income for the rest of your life sustained. But oftentimes people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to spend a little bit more than that because this is a great one-time opportunity to take my grandkids to Disney World. Or it was an emergency. I love that excuse. It was an emergency. Your money doesn't ask any questions. It says, I'm going to offer you a job and I'm going to pay you forty dollars or $50,000 a year you have to figure out how to make it work. Right. Yep. Right. And then additionally, uh, the other issue we typically find uh, to, to make someone unsuccessful in retirement is their children. Oftentimes, the tough discussions we have is that you have to fire your adult children. They, some of these people not only keep themselves on their payroll in retirement, but they try to keep their family on the payroll. And it oftentimes leads to financial disaster. Yeah. So one of our jobs is to play the, the tough guy and deliver the bad news that some of these things have got to change. 
I know for me, you know, I'm kind of right there. I worked, you know, I'll, uh, I'll be 69 at my next birthday. Um, worked all my life. Can't always see chapter two as far as what does life look like? Uh, I know you and I have had this, these conversations together. Uh, certainly for me uh, and Martha, my wife, travel is in the mix. Uh, grandkids are in the mix. Uh, as a matter of fact, we've got two new grandkids coming, which is exciting. Uh, but I think figuring out what that chapter two looks like is uh, your mind is programmed going one way, uh, but all of a sudden you're programmed going a different way from work to really family, friends, um, hobbies. And, uh, and so, but but when the brain's been going one way for such a long period of time, that's it's kind of hard to just kind of turn and go a different direction, isn't it? Well, it is. And one of the trends that we recommend people do is that most people don't just go from working in the old days where our parents or grandparents, they just had a retirement party and quit working and went off into the sunset. Most people now are working part-time, some sort of a part-time career, two to, day, two to three days a week. And what they're doing is their main portfolio is supporting their lifestyle. Yep. And then that part-time work is paying for the extras. Yeah. So you and Martha want to take a cruise. Perfect. I'm going to work a couple of days a week this year, and we're going to pay for these extra things from that extra work and still remain productive. Yeah. So I have a Mediterranean trip coming up in November, too. <laughs> so uh, so excited about that. Great uh, uh, great comment. And, and I believe uh, actually having a, a small – uh, amount of work uh, keeps the mind active and and uh, good stuff like that. So, next question: What are some things that someone should do to set themselves up for general financial well-being? Yep, good question. Uh, so, again, a lot of discussions we have with clients in our regular reviews. One I've already mentioned earlier is making sure that your beneficiaries on life insurance, retirement accounts. Uh, pensions are up to date so that you've got that primary and secondary beneficiary. We see this often as a problem sometimes in a blended family where someone gets divorced, remarried, or a death of a spouse and then gets remarried. We've seen cases where uh, the, the, the old spouse was named ex or deceased. Now the new spouse is cut out of the equation and it gets into a legal wrangling. So make sure your beneficiaries are up to date on these various uh, accounts that you have. Uh, it's also making sure you've got uh, adequate long-term care insurance in place. Just had a client the other day that had to go to an assisted living facility, uh, memory care, uh, $18,000 a month for care. Wow. Right. And, and you talk about devastating a set of assets or a portfolio at $18,000 a month. She does not have long-term care insurance. But it'll rip through some assets very quickly. So you've got to be prepared for that. That's probably the biggest risk that retirees have. It's not that I'm going to go on a cruise or that I'm going to retire. It's, it's, it's that long-term health care yeah. uh, cost equation. Uh, disability insurance for younger people. And then making sure you have life insurance in place uh, while you have a, a, an up-and-coming family and dependents. Um, Another one I would say is not having estate planning. This is probably one of the second biggest issues. It's amazing how many attorneys I talk to that don't have wills, powers of attorney in place. Uh -oh. So we strongly encourage people to have up-to-date wills and powers of attorney in place. 
uh, having proper uh, liability coverage, property and casualty or umbrella policies in place. So do a property and casualty review with your insurance agent. Very important to do that probably every couple of years. This is really a dirty word, budget. Most people don't want to talk about a budget. Uh, unfortunately, I find that most people spend more time planning their vacation than their finances. Yeah. But I emphasize a budget and set goals and stick to those goals on an annual basis. Uh, and then finally, uh, hire the professional, right? If you, if you need counseling and, and, and uh, investment advice or estate planning, any of those things, use a professional. It's, it's worth the expense. There are people that can manage their own affairs, but most people, again, they, they don't want to uh, uh, go down that path. Uh, they want to delegate that to someone that's a professional in those fields. Sure. Yep. That, that makes perfect yep. sense. We're talking this morning with uh, Andrew Sullivan, who's the managing partner of Sullivan. Sullivan and Schliemann. Sullivan Schliemann Wealth Management is a comprehensive wealth planning firm established to serve affluent individuals and their families in an effort to plan for and pursue their financial goals. With a combined total of over 150 years of industry experience, they have the knowledge to develop a plan that's specific to your needs. Andrew, if someone wants to get in touch with you or with the firm, what's what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. Uh, I'll just tell you, we've got two offices, uh, one in Alpharetta and my partner's up in Gainesville. Um, best way to reach us is through either our email, which is uh, sswmllc.com, or you can call the office at 678-867-0500. Andrew, it's been great having you on the show. Thank you for sh- sharing those tips. I made a mental note myself of a couple of those. So thanks again for coming on. Thank you for having me on, Bill. Now we're going to move to uh, Ken Madrin, CEO of Permatherm. Ken's an 18-year CEO of Permatherm, a business that has experienced challenge and growth over that time frame. And Ken, I just really want to start out with talking about uh, communication and language you know uh how we communicate not only the words that we say but also sometimes the uh uh nonverbal things that we say can uh, um can be confusing um i want you to maybe share some of your experience in that area communication and language did uh what you say the person that heard it was what uh, you meant and, and vice versa. Yeah. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me here. And, and the question couldn't be more timely. Um, uh, the topic, I guess, um, as it relates to some of the things that we've gone through, we have, uh, had ups and downs and challenges like every business does. Uh, fortunately we've grown nicely over the last 18 years. Uh, but with growth comes new processes new machinery, new people. And uh, what we found is um, we get comfortable in our language. We get comfortable with shop talk. We know our business and we come up with acronyms and, and things that, all, that, that allow us to communicate internally real fluently. But when you bring somebody else in from the outside to help you grow your business or you bring in maybe a new marketing partner or you bring in a new customer, um, what we're reminded again and again is that, um, shop talk and common words are dangerous. I think the common words are the bane of good communication. I'll use a word as simple as work. 
Everybody knows what work means. But inside of permatherm, we have a way that we work. And we paraphrase it by saying work. And when we bring in new people or we bring in new partners and we're talking about progressing a project through the pipeline, we use the term work it. And I guess children from a young age develop a definition of what work is. And uh, they're different. Everybody works hard. The intention is to work hard. It's the way. So one of the things that we're doing at Permatherm that is um, helping mitigate some past misunderstandings and miscommunications on the common words is um, we delete them. We don't, we don't use the word work because work has so many definitions. Can you believe that? Can oh, you, yeah. Can you yeah. believe that the word work has more than one definition? Yeah. It literally has uh, a very definition from each person who walks in the door. What time does my day start? What time does my day end? Uh, this is how I would work it. This is how you would work it. I'm working. And they are. So we change the names of things like that that are critical paths and processes. Um, and we make some pretty silly names uh, out of things like work. For example, that word, uh, when we talk shop, is um, now keyholing. It's time to keyhole. What's that? And we may be talking about uh, progressing projects through our pipeline. You would typically go work the pipeline. And there's a lot of different ways to work the pipeline, but there's one way at Permatherm. And we're talking about working the pipeline, but our best practices require that we keyhole the pipeline. Well, when you do that, you destabilize everybody who's supposed to keyhole the pipeline because no one knows what that is. But when you build that definition together, everybody knows what that is. And uh, we've found that to be an insidious eroder of progress. And we've found that simple element of take a word that everybody knows, throw it in the trash can as it relates to critical process and come up with a new word and everybody define it together. Now, really only a few people are leading that discussion, but you will find when it's a word like keyhole, everybody wants to understand it because their job is, and everybody does kind of add a piece or there. And in the end, you, you, when you're talking, everybody knows what you're talking about. So in my career, it seemed like the silliest of things to do. Everybody knows what work is. It's been one of the most productive things. And uh, there's other instances like that, but that's just one example of um, language and uh, what we all think is good communication and how it can impede progress within your organization. Yeah, that's such a, uh, uh, such a good concept. And uh, I will tell you in my banking career, so bankers are notorious for throwing out terms or expressions, cash flow, 
EBITDA, working capital. You know, I even coined it as bank speak. You know, bankers are so accustomed to speaking a language, but often their clients don't understand what they're talking about, but they don't take the time to explain what the words mean. And so there's this communication gap that's out there. Uh, I also had a, a similar situation with a, with a client last week. Um, they're doing an exit plan. It's a professional services firm. And I had two parallel paths that uh, we were running for this firm. One was to sell to a strategic or a financial buyer. The other one was to sell to a coworker or management team. Well, I thought they knew what that meant, but really what they understood me to say is they weren't selling it to themselves, buying and selling between partners. They thought I was talking about them selling the firm to another management team out there. So I wasn't clear or I thought I was clear, but in reality, I, I've, I found out I wasn't. So, uh, so I've had uh, I've had an experience somewhat similar, not not alike, but somewhat similar. I think it's a great parallel. Your banking mm-hmm. analogy, in particular, I think you've made a career out of. Yep. Talking to the business owners who know how to keyhole the pipeline, but don't know what my debt to equity ratio needs to be. But at the first meeting with the banker, they say, well, your debt to equity ratio and your days outstanding of cash and all that stuff looks good. We think we can bank you. And you leave that conversation as a business owner and you go, what are those things? Yeah. It's really a disconnect between the service provider and the customer, but it's natural. It's what all we get comfortable in our own space and, and yeah, creates opportunity really does. So we're talking this morning with uh, Ken Madrin, CEO of Permatherm. Uh, Permatherm is a Georgia-based manufacturer of insulated metal paddles, fabricated pipe insulation systems, uh, and rigid insulating foams. Uh, It's been a very green-focused industry over the last quarter century because its customer demanded it before everyone else demanded it. Uh, And Ken, I'd like to get into a little bit about... uh, uh, you know, I love, I love a boat analogy. Uh, the rudder is really what steers the ship or the boat. Uh, and so, uh, keeping a tight grip on the rudder, uh, wondering if, uh, that maybe brings about a a story or an experience that you've had. It does. It, it's, um, it's interesting. You know, this kind of ties back to our previous conversation about growth and and going through cycles and expanding. Um, Prior to being involved with Permatherm, I worked in private equity uh, and mergers and acquisitions, and um, we got an opportunity to look at a bunch of different companies, and most of them had pretty significant growth or those that we got serious about or growth potential. And um, uh, that's what made them attractive. And uh, in all of our due diligence over the years and, and, and in operating some of these companies, there was always this warning, this mantra, um, you know, growth brings challenge. Well, that's pretty nebulous. Um, maybe as nebulous as a definition of work, what everybody's definition of work is. 
And having gone through a fair amount of growth and in cycles over the last 18 years, I think I have a better context for that. And I think the rudder analogy is the key. And in, in many cases, if a, if a business has broken that glass ceiling threshold, that, that 10 million plus threshold, they did it on a set of foundational services or products that a market wanted uh, and, and allowed that business to get past that glass ceiling. And when you get past that, you know, you've done something and you can probably go somewhere. So I, ideas get big about growth, uh, product line expansions, uh, personnel expansions, sales channel expansions, all of those things. And, and with all of those things, new comes. Um, what I would say about that is what got you there will probably get you the rest of the way. That's your rudder. That's what got that business to that point, and that's probably the rudder that will get you all the way down the road to where that business is going. Not to mean that you shouldn't add new services and you shouldn't um, consider new practices, but you should remember the market that you serve, the way you serve, and the product that you serve. And, and, and as you hear about things that you could do, Make sure that those things don't change your rudder, don't change your setter, uh, or don't change the setting that you're heading. Um, stay focused on that rudder and stay a whole hold of it. Incorporate the things that might help you go, but don't let the rudder take a big turn. And um, in a lot of the M&A side of things, when things kind of went down, there were new markets ventured into that we weren't quite prepared for. And on a lot of the expansion, maybe back to some of those communication conversations, everybody wasn't speaking the same language. Everybody didn't know exactly where we're headed. Keep your hand on the rudder. Yeah, excellent point. Um, I'm reminded, so I'm dating myself when I say this, but I'm reminded of the movie City Slicker. Uh, Billy Crystal's character and Jack Palance's character are are having one of those uh, Wild West getaways and uh, – um, Billy Crystal's character says, uh, um, so what's, what's the meaning and purpose in life? And Jack Palance's character holds up one finger. He said, just one thing. And Billy Crystal's character says, well, what do you mean? He said, what, one thing. Well, that's for you to decide. So part of keeping mm -hmm. your hand on the rudder is making sure you remember, keep the main thing, the main thing. And that's up for you to decide. I think that's a great analogy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we're all busy. Uh, sometimes busyness is, is an enemy. Sometimes busyness is a friend. Uh, but I'm also uh, curious, um, you know, being a CEO is hard. Uh, you've got so many things, uh, people wanting some of your time, making decisions. Uh, you've told, made a comment to me that distraction never underestimates how distracting it can be. And so this almost ties into keeping a, a tight grip on, on the rudder, but uh, how do you deal with distraction? Not very well. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> Maybe we should start a club. <laughs> yeah, it, it does tie to the rudder question. It's, it's, there's subtle differences between the two. So, um, you know, again, Know where you're going and try to go there. But with growth comes complexity. With complexity, there are new understandings. 
you might be expanding uh, a benefits package to be more attractive in um, recruiting employees. Uh, you might be adding pension plans. You might be changing your healthcare benefits. And when you, as you grow and the number of souls involved in the packages that you offer grow, you've got to, you've got to spend time on those things. And you either needed to get to delegate that to professionals who spend their time in that space or know that big projects like that might move your rudder a little bit. Uh, is it a distraction that's, um, somehow not valuable to your business? No, it is valuable to your business. That's why you want to incorporate. You might bring in a new manufacturing process that would be valuable to your business that you might want to incorporate. But everything you've got to do to understand either that new manufacturing process or that new benefits package has the potential to distract. I guess if you're staffed for it, if you're delegated for it, if you know that this is going to be a distraction on the front end. Maybe it's less distractive to the core management team, but those things need to be considered because very often those balls of string start to unwind. And once you start to unwind them and understand everything that's required to incorporate this, it takes time. Is it distracting in a negative sense? It might move your rudder. Never underestimate what you're about to delve into. If it's new, there's an element of distraction, and that can be distracting. I get it. Um, Ken, it's been, uh, I guess, our relationship spans 14 years. Uh, you have done a fabulous job of building that company. Uh, I know you're a lifelong learner. Uh, I know you have a, a growth mindset, uh, but for our listeners out there, if there is uh, one piece of wisdom uh, that you could impart to them, what do you think that might be right now? Um, I think that um, good companies are built on good teams that understand where the company is going and communicate well with each other to reach that point. And I think um, we've certainly had ups and downs, you and I together. And every time anything has really taken off and gone well, we've had a lot of those. Or anytime things have had a bump uh, that we had to correct. That team pulled together, worked as a unit, found a common thread and a common language to solve an issue or grow. And, uh, and I, I would say that's the key. Pour into your team, develop that team, communicate with that team, grow that team. Keep your hand on the rudder. Yeah, I've seen uh, so much success in uh, the fact that those perceived stumbling blocks have been stepping stones. Uh, I've seen people continue to grow and flourish in your organization and stand on the soldier, uh, shoulders uh, of the ones that have come before them. Um, for our listening audience out there, there may be someone who's looking for a good employer or uh, a great culture, which Permatherm has, or uh, there might be a listener who needs some structural insulated panels. What's, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you about either of those? 
Any way you can find us in the best way is www.permatherm.net or .com. Um, there's email there. Our phone number is there. Uh, the phone number is 843-5363-770 um, area code. Um, the main line at the plant is 706 uh, 745-4500. Uh, we are looking forward to working with you on whatever your interest may be, whether you're interested in being a teammate with us. We have plant operations in Monticello, Georgia, office operations in Covington, Georgia, another production facility in Covington, Georgia. Or if you'd like to talk about panels for your project, I have nine people ready to help you get it done successfully. Great. Ken's been an absolute delight to have you on on uh, Profit Sense today. Thanks so much for joining us. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. And now I turn to Jim Persley, president of uh, Factory Automation Systems. Uh, Jim, uh, we're about a year and a half post uh, celebrating a successful management buyout with you and uh, uh, your cohorts and buying out the uh, prior managers. So you've been... Uh, CEO. And before we get into what that's been like, I'd really like to hear maybe how do you see the manufacturing business in the current economic environment? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, it's still, uh, still strong. We had some concerns about uh, rising cost of money and economy slowing down, but uh, you know, we've, we've not seen it on a whole slow, uh, you know, taking a, a downward turn just yet always subject to change. And I think a lot of what's driving that is still the strong employment numbers. So our business is structured around automation and uh, helping people manufacture things in all, all types of spaces. And, you know, traditionally through the years, that takes people to sure. do that. And it's harder and harder these days to find people that um, you could trust to show up to work every day that have the skills to uh, to do that, and, and and especially so in the manufacturing space, and so our customers are in, and the the list keeps growing. You know, from beyond the traditional, just Fortune five hundred companies, the you know the, the Ford's, General Motors of the world, to to smaller organizations that just can't find the people to do the work, and so we get calls for. Um, you know, we've we've had this process we've done for years. We're looking for a way to be able to uh, to do it. We can't run the equipment sometimes because we don't have people to show up to work to do it. So uh, that's been a big part of our continued success, whether that's with robotic systems or just you know any other type of automation system. Um, and it continues to you know to be even even as large capital projects maybe are slowing down. Um, you know, even a lot of uh, upgrade work with existing. Customers are taking the opportunities to uh, to replace obsolete equipment uh, if they've slowed down, and and uh, even even customers who aren't seeing growth in their business in manufacturing still need the automation piece to drive costs down and to to really backfill where you can't find the labor. So obviously, efficiency there uh, in automation is key uh, in terms of where you might see opportunities for growth. Is it mostly? Uh, manufacturing plants looking for improved efficiency in operations? Yeah, good question. So, uh, you know, it's it's a balance. There's some, uh, you know, there's some new capital expansion. There's been uh, the, the past few years, the COVID years, the supply chain issues 
you know, even a lot of the tariffs, uh, people are pulling manufacturing back into North America. So there's some new uh, capital projects uh, that that are expanding. Our real, you know, that's been a, that's our traditional business is more um, what we would call project type business, where we're seeing a lot of uh, expansion and growth coming into uh, the next years. It's really around services. And so that kind of ah, covers okay. all, all manner of things. So, you know, people traditionally think of it as, you know, if something's broken, come and fix it. But our, our focus is more on, you know, helping people find efficiencies that they could have in their processes. Uh, another big area is safety. So, um, you know, the, the, the world of industrial safety continues to, to expand and, and uh, um, you know, companies that wouldn't traditionally you don't think of as being too concerned about that are really spending uh, the money and the effort to expand it in, in safety, keeping their employees safe uh, around, you know, around equipment. And uh, we found a nice little niche in that market. You could find, we've, we found there's a lot of companies that could tell you you have a safety problem. And then there's other companies that will sell you, you know, guards and things that go around it, but can't really tell you, you know, what the problems are. And so we found a nice little niche being able to come in, help identify, you know, what, uh, areas might be hazards to your employees or, you know, people in the, in your facility and then giving you a solution to that problem. So a start to finish, uh, solution in in safety has has really been a big area of growth for us in the last year and and seemingly into the, uh, to the next years. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's an interesting niche. Thanks for sharing that. We're talking today with Jim Persley, president of factory automation systems. Jim is president and CEO uh, he started with factory automation in 1997 in the electrical shop while in engineering school at George Tech. Jim's worked in a variety of roles at uh, the firm and eventually took over president in mid-2022. Uh, in October of 22, Jim and his three partners purchased factory automation from the founders of the company. Um, and I was privileged to play a very small part. Uh, in that, but a very I, important part, I might add. <laughs> well, Don't sell yourself short, Bill. Yeah, th- <laughs> thank you for that. I appreciate it. Uh, but it's now been a year and a half uh, since the ownership transition. I've been dying to ask this question, but how has the experience been relative to your expectations? Well, I don't know exactly what I expected. I know what the goals were for <laughs> to uh, you know really to maintain the culture and the the structure of the business as we as we had it. Um, and from that perspective, I think we've been very successful. Um, that, that's a big focus when we, we spoke a year ago, you know, shortly after that was the focus. And, and from that perspective, I think that we've, I think we've been successful at, at that from, you know, the things that you don't really plan for, there's surprises that come along the way, sure. right? I mean, it's, uh, you've taken over from the founders of the company who did an outstanding job of, of getting anything you know, prepared and, and, uh, uh, put us in a great position to do that. But there's still things that you can never cover, no matter how many meetings or how much stuff you write down of just little things that come up, you know, through the first year that uh, are are surprises and nothing huge. But uh, you know, it's you're still kind of feeling your way through it, and and so now we've gotten a, a year into it, and uh, yeah, we're feeling we're feeling pretty good about it. We feel like we put together a good plan. We had good partners such as yourself to help us get the financing stuff in order. Um, you know, that was. That, that was invaluable. Certainly the way the interest rates have gone uh, since we first started talking about that, if we, if we had not had a good plan for that, we would, you know, we would not be in a strong position as we're in right now. Um, 
And, you know, just making sure that you have good advice going into it, you know, really made the surprises that we have not so insurmountable and we could continue to run and grow our business. And, and, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing that success. We're, we're poised for, um, you know, our strongest year ever, uh, as a company. Uh, and the year before that was the, the strongest year we'd had up to that point. And, and, uh, you know, we, we see that continuing and, and being able to have a smooth transition. I mean, you see other companies where it doesn't, doesn't always go this way, right. It, it, uh, um, you know, without the proper planning and, and, uh, you know, having everybody on board, you know, rowing in the same direction, um, it, it could go sideways, but you know, I'm, I'm knocking on wood. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I'll be able to say that again this time next year. But, uh, um, you know, I, I would say the planning really paid off. Yeah. Um, and so I want to maybe change the thought process to the planning because I find it is very common for business owners to be so busy working in their businesses when it comes time to um, to do a management transition or a business sale, uh, it takes a village, and uh, certainly uh, you and and uh, your partners put together a, a good team. You had a, a good attorney that was helping you with all the legalese involved in in the contracts and and the process. You had uh, uh, certainly. Uh, someone giving you good uh, accounting and tax advice. Um, and of course, helping find the, find the financing was, was a, a piece of that as well. But maybe talk a little bit from your perspective how important it was to have that team together and actually put together a cohesive plan where all of those aspects were, you know, were in the mix. Yeah, from a, from a transition perspective, um, you know, that's, that's not our business. Like I'm electrical engineer by nature. Uh, most of the people, my, my business partners are all engineers of some sort. So, so being able to have the right team together, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head with that to, uh, to really make sure people are you know, bringing the expertise that, that uh, we lack uh, on that. Uh, you know, I think that really, I think that really paid off. And, and uh, you know, even taking that perspective into, you kind of hinted on the, um, uh, working on the business instead of being in there working day to day. I mean, that, that same getting the right people in the right seats to, to, to do what they need to do and, and being able to count and rely on your team members, uh, whether it's, you know, for a business transition or even day to day type things. Sure. Um, you know, it's not always easy to do. Certainly when you have a personal investment in, in what you're doing, it's hard to, it can be hard to let go of things. Um, yeah, I'm very fortunate to have a great team to work with, whether it's on the business side of things, uh, on the, in the engineering, the uh, fabrication shop, everything. I mean, I, I just uh, am very pleased with, uh, you know, with the team that we uh, had before the transition, and it's gotten even stronger since the transition. And that's, it's vital. I mean, you can't, you know, it's, when you get to be a, a larger organization, you can't do everything. And, uh, you know, it's, it's taken me a few years to, uh, but, you know, even prior to this to, to accept that, but, uh, you know, having a team in place that you could really rely on is, is just crucial to success. And, and you talked a moment ago about making sure that you have the right people in the right seats. And I think certainly the table was set for you in, in the culture that had been built in that organization. And so, uh, you had the right people because those were the people that shared the same core values throughout the organization. And then, uh, it's always a challenge to get 
uh, people in the right seats playing to their strengths. Um, but that has been, I think, a, a hallmark of how uh, factory automation has really performed through the years. So there wasn't much to do uh, when the management team came in uh, in terms of building culture and building a cohesiveness, was there? Yeah, that's that's right. And, and really part of the strategy of, of why uh, what was important to the founders was to maintain that, that the people that were a part of it, myself, my business partners, uh, we're not fresh off the street people that were, you know, trying to figure out where the coffee pot was. I mean, we've been with the, we've all been with the company for a long time, and you know, it's it's not just a. I mean, it's a personal thing for the founders. I, I believe that they wanted to con- see it continue. Certainly, the people that were going to be managing the company wanted to be able to maintain that, which was sure. important of why we made the decision, uh, you know, collectively to uh, you know to go through the process as we as we did, and. You know, when you you uh, you've, you've been to our office, you've, if you look down the walls, we have Christmas parties once a year. We put on a nice shirt and tie and, and uh, have a have a Christmas party, and, and you'll see the same faces, you know, yeah. throughout the years. And and it takes time to you know to build a team like that. And we continue to grow. I mean, it, you'll see faces come in, and and, uh, um, and some of ours look older every year. But uh, you know, you continue to. Uh, you continue to build on that team and you can continue to bring people into the organization that fit that, um, you know, fit the model of, of learning together and working together and, and keeping the kind of culture that, you know, is good, not just for work in a working environment, but it's something that, that our customers value, right? They could see the, they could see the, the end result of the teamwork mm-hmm. of the, of what we put together in what we deliver to, to our customers. So it, it's important from all aspects. Yeah, to have that cohesiveness. We're talking today with Jim Persley, president of Factory Automation Systems. Factory Automation Systems is a leader in manufacturing controls, automation, software, and robotics. Founded in 1992, uh, Factory Automation Systems provides automation solutions for manufacturers in a variety of industries, including building materials, food and beverage, and automotive parts. Uh, so, Jim, as kind of a parting comment uh, for any uh, aspiring CEOs out there, uh, are there one or two uh, bits of wisdom that maybe you have picked up in the last uh, 18 months that you'd like to pass on to our listeners? Find people that you could trust to work with. Make sure you have them. Uh, you're very clear in uh, what your roles are for what everyone is doing. And have a have a plan of what everyone's going to do, and then execute. Yeah, great advice, Jim. Thanks so much for coming on Profit Sense yeah, today. You, I want to take a minute to talk about three quick tips for perfecting your 2024 projections. Whether you've finished your 2024 projections or not, I'd like to share three tips you need to know to put the finishing touches on your forecast. Projections are critical to knowing whether your financial forecasts are realistic, especially if you will use these to obtain financing or attract investors. First, look for tendencies in your forecasting to gain insights on things you can do to improve next year. This could be things like, did you overestimate revenue and profits? Did you accurately forecast the timing of collections from clients and payments to vendors? Things like that. Second, Compare your assumptions on revenue and expense growth compared to your historical performance and industry norms and standards. 
It's possible you're outperforming your peers in some areas, but underperforming in others. Know your tendencies. Third, forecast from the bottom up, not the top down. Uh, It's not how much you bill, but how much you keep. Plan profit first, then expenses, then revenue. Compare your forecasted revenue number based on what you discovered in your historical performance. If your revenue number is too high, then consider either adjusting your profit number or cutting expenses. Many business owners will have several rounds of assumptions before they end with a forecast they're comfortable with. Remember, it's important to forecast not only your income statement, but also your balance sheet and your cash flow statement. That gives you a complete picture of your business. Here's to a great 2024 for all of us. If you want to keep up with the latest in pro-business news, follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at The Profitability Coach. If you want to listen to past or future ProfitSense episodes, you can find us on ProfitSenseRadio.com. This is ProfitSense with Bill McDermott signing off. Make it a great day.